Hi, my name's Stuart too. <laughs> and uh, although Stuart's away, you still get a Stuart preaching to you today. <clears throat> Why don't we pray? <clears throat> Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you that you brought us here together to learn from you. Please encourage us now as we read your word to uh, know more about you and what you've done for us and what you require from us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Social commentators have been telling us for quite a while now that we live in a post-Christian society. And I think in only the last couple of years I've begun to feel that. I remember teaching at school and being challenged not on things like the um, authenticity of the Bible, but on some social issues. What do Christians think about this, that and the other? Uh, I don't know about you, but uh, I'm wondering if you've been challenged as well. Where you felt before you were part of the majority, now you're feeling part of the minority. Uh, the majority don't believe in the God of the Bible anymore. They say they believe in God, but it's not the God that we know that reveals himself. The majority don't hold the word of God to be uh, from God. And morality has been watered down to phrases like, if it doesn't hurt anyone uh, and it's good for you, then it's okay. We as Christians are often ridiculed for being old-fashioned and unenlightened. All around us people are saying, I have a right to be me. We used to speak about values and character, but now it's all about rights, isn't it? Uh, And so when a young man leaves uh, his home and uh, what he wants in life is um, sex and freedom and he won't commit to a relationship, he lives with his girlfriend to get what he wants out of life. Or uh, a young woman uh, who loves independence so intensely that uh, she lives in terror of becoming pregnant. Uh, An abortion industry emerges to give her what she wants out of life. Or the scientist who loves uh, the idea of recognition for discovering a new cure will argue that using human embryos is a fine as long as the end justifies the means. Sorry, yes, the ends justify the means. And if we raise our voices uh, to object, we're shouted down to stop living in the ancient world. Well, how are we supposed to react to living in a world that uh, Paul calls crooked and perverse? Paul's answer, simple, shine like stars. Sounds good. How do we go about it? What's he mean? Well, we're going to have to look at this passage fairly closely to work that out. It's only a short passage. And so we're going to go through it a little bit by bit. So if you've got it open there, please continue to have it there. I'll be putting some of the text up on the screen, but it'd be much better, I think, if you could have it in front of you. Paul's going to speak to the Philippians, and he's also going to speak to us. And as Kathy mentioned, uh, the therefore reminds us that we need to go back and see what uh, Paul has been writing about. Last week, Stuart spoke about the humiliation Uh, exaltation of Jesus. Jesus humbled himself and made himself nothing and uh, took on the nature of a servant uh, and uh, died for us. He obeyed his heavenly father in doing this and because of that God exalted him and he lifted him up to the highest place that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and earth and under the earth 
and Jesus is to be glorified. He's lifted up. Everyone bows, no exceptions. Jesus is the promised Messiah, the one that the Old Testament story culminates in. And we're excited to hear that uh, Jesus is this magnificent person that we've known and loved. You'd expect Paul at this point to go into a doxology, that is a, a, a worship song or a praise paragraph about how great Jesus is. But he doesn't. He gives us the therefore. So he's going to go back over all of chapter 2 and remind us of the things that he said. Be concerned for others. Look to the example of Jesus and remember that he is exalted to the name above every name. So Paul says, on the basis of all of this, uh, I'm now going to give you some directives on how you need to behave. And so that's where we're at this morning. Paul's talking to us. He's talking to the Philippians about how we need to react in relationships to what we've just read. So he says, Therefore, my friends, as you have always obeyed me, not only in my presence, but how much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. What it's not saying there is work out your own salvation. Uh, that's a view that's held by some denominations. I remember years ago when Billy Graham came out to Australia and Mike Willis interviewed him. He asked the question, uh, are you sure you're going to go to heaven? And Billy Graham said, sure, I know that, that's a certainty. And Mike Willis, he was disgusted. He came from a Roman Catholic background where if you ask uh, someone, oh, you know you're going to go to heaven, they might say, I hope so, because it so much depends on works and what you do. And people looked upon us as being arrogant if we say we know we're going to go to heaven. And yet this is what Paul's saying. We don't have to work for our salvation like that. In fact, it's not even um, a God does his bit and we do our bit and together we save me. Paul's not even saying that. Uh, no, God has completed everything. It's by grace that we are saved. Nothing we do can save us. It's the same idea you see in chapter 1, verse 6, if you have a look at that. Paul says there, Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it out to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. You are saved, and what you need now to do is to live up to that calling. God sees you here, but there's a barrier. Jesus stands before you, so when God looks at you, he sees a perfect person. What you have to do is to become like Jesus and move up in that direction. You've got to live up to the calling in which God calls you to be. Now, often these words are taken to mean, uh, well, the individual has to work out their own salvation. We've got to, we've got to work on that with our, with our Bible reading and our prayer life things like that. In the context here, it's not written to individuals. It's written to the church, to the community of believers. That's the primary reference. So Paul's talking about how do you work out salvation within the church community, how we relate to each other. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, Paul begins. Uh, the Philippians' obedience was not to Paul, but it had been to Christ. And so now... As they had obeyed before, some problems have arisen in the church. Uh, and he urges them to demonstrate this Christian obedience by getting on top of these problems, working through them, and uh, see what they can do 
so that they can work out their salvation corporately in fear and trembling. These are not guidelines to good manners. I'm not saying this is how you need to behave to be good people. Uh, they follow Christ's exaltation where he's uh, lifted up into the heavenly glories. That's why Paul says work out your salvation in fear and trembling because the Christ that you serve is God himself. But as awesome as our call is to work out our salvation, luckily we're not left to our own devices as you'll see there. For it is by God, it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Now we know in every uh, decision we make, there's two parts to it. There's our inward uh, will, we think about what we'll do, and then our outward action. And uh, sometimes we think, well, we will it and God helps us. Or it might be that God wills it and, and we put it into action. Paul's not saying that here. Paul's actually saying God does more than strengthen our willing and doing. Rather, he works both to will and to act. It's God again by grace through and through. Everything we do is from God. Uh, it's not simply my work plus God's work gets it done because it wouldn't get done because basically we're evil and uh, we don't desire what God wants. Uh, Augustine uh, a great Christian teacher from uh, years ago said this, God makes us do what he pleases by making us desire what we do not desire. It's so true, isn't it? That's what happens. Uh, we desire what we do not desire because God makes that happen. God's work is to will and to work for his good pleasure and his good pleasure, we're told, is for our ultimate good. It's for good relationships in the church it's to glorify Jesus and it's for our ultimate good of going to heaven. Now, with regard to the Philippian church, uh, what pleases God is an end to their bickering. Because apparently they were arguing with each other and questioning their leadership. So having said that, Paul now gives them some directives. He gives them a second command which really cuts to the chase. Have a look at uh, verse 14. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you can become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Uh, the words are meant to remind us of Israel's wandering in the wilderness. Remember when they went from uh, the land of Egypt through to the promised land? Uh, even before they got to Mount Sinai, they were grumbling about things. Uh, turn with me, would you, to uh, Exodus for a minute. Uh, back in your Bibles, let's go keep your finger in Philippians. Let's go back to Exodus uh, chapter 15 and verse 22. Uh, they're wandering through the desert and they're out of water. Uh, Exodus 15:22. Then Moses led. Israel from the Red Sea and they went through the desert of Shur. For three days they travelled in the desert without finding water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. That is why the place is called Marah. So the people grumbled against Moses saying, what are we to drink? And of course Moses gave them water. Over the page, 
chapter 16, verse 2. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into the desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Now, they were never in Egypt eating pots of food, were they? They were slaves. And yet uh, their memories are short. (coughs) Grumbling and questioning are not the things that God's people uh, should be about. The Christians in Philippi were beginning to grumble and question things. Critical complaining spirits can undo a church and its mission. Back in the 19th century, many of the Scots in church in Scotland would go to a service to hear if the gospel was being preached rather than to sit under the gospel. They wanted to make sure their ministers spoke the word of God. They didn't listen to it, but they wanted to make sure that they spoke it. I had a guy in my last church who was uh, writing to the bishop every second week because uh, the minister might have been um, speaking from the lectern, one of these things, rather than the pulpit, which we haven't got here. Or we didn't face east for the creed. Little things that sort of got him upset uh, and sort of called into question the role of the minister. Or the woman who once told me that she had the very useful gift of criticism. (laughs) And didn't she like to use it? Questioning and complaining and grumbling are a watershed state of our hearts. They define us and they inhibit us from working out our salvation in fear and trembling. If you are one of these people, stop. You're stunting your own Christian growth and you're certainly stunting the growth of those around you. If your life group just ends up being a place where you can uh, complain about the ministry or other aspects of church life, don't go. It's better that the life group ceases to exist than it become a place of gossip and complaining. See, Paul saw the New Testament church as the new exodus. The people of God are moving towards the new promised land, that is heaven. That's how he views the Philippians here. He wants them not to complain and grumble to get it right this time. If they get it right and they put their whinging away, they'll become examples to the watching world and to the Philippian culture around them. That's the full thought that begins in verse 14. You see it there, don't you? Do everything without complaining or grumbling so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. Remember some weeks ago, Stuart told us about the Roman culture in Philippi and the fact that they devoted themselves to uh, the worship of, of Caesar as God. Uh, the church's declaration here that Jesus is Lord uh, flew in the face of this. It was blasphemous to the eyes of the Philippians. It bordered on treason. And, and yet in spite of this perversity, Paul says that if the church repents of its grumbling, And questioning, they'll become blameless towards God. Uh, Their kindness to each other will demonstrate that they are children of God to the world that's watching. 
shining like stars, says Paul. It's an allusion to the writings of Daniel. Uh, You might want to, again, go back in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 12. Page 898, it is in my Bible. Often when we get quotes from the uh, New Testament, you can find them in the Old Testament. The writers have been careful to read the Old Testament and to find out uh, you know, what the Old Testament is saying. And In Daniel 12, uh, you'll see the heading of the end times. Daniel has a vision of, of what it's going to be like in the resurrection age. And this is what he writes at the beginning of chapter 12. That time Michael, the great prince who protects your people, will arise. There will be a time of distress such as has not happened from the beginning of nations until then. But at that time your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book, will be delivered. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens. And those who lead many to righteousness, like the stars forever and ever. You see where Paul's taking us now in chapter 2? He says, as we look at that whole chapter, uh, we need to have a humble heart. We need to be humble to start off with. We need to follow the example of Jesus, who took on the nature of a servant. We need to view people in the resurrection light that we shine out that light into a dark world. And how do we do this? Well, we're told we hold on to the word of life. That is the gospel. That's the key, isn't it? We can be grouchy with one another. We can be critical and complaining and think that that's just the way things are. You might think you've got the gift of a critical spirit, just having the courage to say what nobody else wants to say or can't say. (coughs) you might think that some healthy grumbling and questioning will make the church stronger. Paul says having an attitude like that hinders the work of your own salvation and it can damn the salvation of others. So what's all this look like in practice? It's difficult for many of us finding that traditional views that we once held now actually put us on the outer. Uh, it's quite disconcerting when you get into an argument with someone and realise that they're very, very uh, angry with you rather than just seeing you as an opponent. They now see you as the enemy. We feel under attack so much so that even social commentators like Andrew Bolt are defending Christians for their right to say something without being bullied or persecuted. Well, thanks, Andrew, but we do follow a a, a risen saviour who tells us that uh, persecution and ridicule are going to be par for the course if we're truly Christian. How about in the present debate on marriage equality? What do we do? How do we react? It will either help us to shine like stars or to dim our light. I don't want to say too much today about the, um, the arguments, but I do want to say just a little bit about some thoughts that I've had recently having read some articles that I think the Apostle Paul would endorse about the way we go about talking to the world that's watching us. I think the first point I want to make is that we need to remember that the people we interact with are those who are made in God's image. 
like us. God loves them. They are to be treated with dignity and to re- with respect and not as opponents. So as opponents rather than enemies. So if we need to turn the other cheek when they treat us uh, badly. Perhaps we need to treat them uh, with love. Secondly, we need to be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry. So you might write something online and someone disagrees with you fairly vehemently. Um, Rather than abruptly defending yourself, you might want to write something like, tell me more, or even say thank you, and find out what their position is, and uh, find out a little bit about the person rather than just what they're saying. And the final thing I want to say on this is don't be distracted by the things that are more important than the gospel. I think it's things like this and this whole view of um, uh, creation, whether it's made in uh, seven days or whether it's a longer period of time, those sorts of things can distract us from the gospel. We need to be gospel-minded in our thoughts like this. If the things we yell about stop people hearing the gospel, we need to stop yelling because they won't hear us when we've got more important things to say. When the dust settles on this, as it will, Do you want to be remembered as people who hurled abuse at others or do we want to be remembered as people who spoke with love? Do you want to be remembered as people who listened with love and people who lost or won with love? Same-sex marriage doesn't threaten the lordship of Jesus but the way we treat people will threaten and reflect the lordship to the world in which we live. Shine like stars, says Paul. Hold firmly onto the gospel. Hold it out to a fallen world. And when the world takes a peek at us, let them see a church not divided by grumbling and questioning, but rather a church that seeks to serve each other and those in the wider community. So Paul can say to each of us, as he does as he finishes this passage, Hold out the word of life in order that I might boast of you on the day of Christ. I am glad and rejoice with you all. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, We thank you today that it's told us not to have a complaining spirit and to grumble. Uh, Help us to be united in our thinking, in our purpose, so that when people see us, they might see people of love rather than the people of hate. Uh, We thank you for your word. We pray we might put it into action this week. In Jesus' name, amen.